Hello, and welcome to the Lisa Condon Sessions, a podcast for creative folks about living and working with more intention, curiosity, and joy. I'm your host, Lisa Condon. Before we get into this episode, I want to take a minute to thank Wireframe, one of the sponsors of this episode. Wireframe is a podcast about creativity and design for creative professionals produced by industry leader Adobe. It's for UX designers, illustrators, graphic designers, typographers, artists, and activists, or really anyone interested in design and how creativity impacts the world around us. One of my favorite recent episodes explores our hatred of the font Comic Sans, and This episode takes us into an imaginary font party where we hear from different fonts, including Comic Sans, and it's really hilarious and well done. Kudos to host Koi Vin for this amazing episode. I hope you'll search for Wireframe in your podcast app, and I'll also include a link in my show notes. Many thanks to Wireframe for their support. Hey, everyone. Uh, welcome to episode uh, 10. I think we're at 10 now. Oh my gosh. This is the 10th episode. It's amazing. So yeah, I have somebody here with me, my wife, Clay Walsh, and you can probably also hear my dog Milkshake in the background playing with Frida. Frida is the dog who belongs to my head of retail and product development. She's on vacation this weekend. And so... You know, when I record podcasts at home, there's always the question in my head, do I try to lock the dogs out of the room or do I leave them in the room and let them play and make noise? Clay, you can tell us, what is the risk we run when we leave the dogs outside a closed door? Okay, so if you leave the dogs outside of the room, they're going to bark. So I don't know if anyone of you know about this, but... Dogs sometimes have a couple of different kinds of barks. There's the barks that when the UPS guy comes, and then there's the bark when your toy goes underneath the couch. That's right. And that's the I lost my ball bark. Yes. And everybody's familiar with that. So that's going to happen. And also, I want my mama bark. That's even a different bark. So we thought that we would just let them hang out down here with their toys and play. That's right. So if you hear squeaky balls and Milkshake makes really funny noises when she plays with Frida, that will just let that... It's yeah, just we'll just let it be the background noise because yeah. otherwise they'd be like scratching at the door and all of that. So anyhow, the reason Clay's here is, and Clay is my wife. We've been married for how many years? We've been married for... I keep having to pull oh, sorry. her closer eight to years. the microphone. So <laughs> eight years. Eight years. We're sharing one microphone. So yeah, so we've been married for eight years together for... Almost 14. 14 And a few weeks ago, I asked you all, those of you who follow me on Instagram, to write down some questions you have for me for an upcoming episode. So we're doing an Ask Me Anything, and Clay has volunteered (laughs) to engage with me around these topics and to ask the questions. So... That's what we're going to do today. Not w- quite an in-conversation, but like more like a Q&A. Like Q&A. Moderated AMA. by Clay Walsh. Yeah. Moderated by Clay Walsh. So, Clay, let's start with the first question, which is actually, I, I don't know all of the people who've posed the questions. I do know some of them. And this first question is actually posed by somebody I know. Her name is Diane. 
Clay, why don't you go ahead and uh, ask the question? Sure. And it's a long paragraph, so I'll do my best here. Okay. Okay, so Diane S. With such an amazing ability to make things look as you want with your own hands onto a canvas, how do you decide the limits of what types of subjects she'll paint? And when do you know that the time is right to expand on that? So some examples. So you often paint animals and nature as well as abstract objects, but when would you know or decide it's time to paint a car or something? <laughs> so what do you think, Lisa? <laughs> and she also says in parentheses, doesn't need to be a car, but something you haven't done or wanted to do before. So, okay. Venturing here, into new subjects. New subjects, yeah. So for the record, I mean, I have drawn cars, but I usually draw cars in the context of something that requires a car. For example, recently, I know you're not asking specifically about cars, Diane, but while you brought it up, let's just talk about cars for a second. I actually did a a pattern eons ago when I first started, like over a decade ago, that was like vintage cars. Nothing ever happened with it. But recently I was drawing some cars in their very basic form in a children's book I was making. I did a map recently that I drew some cars in, but... So a lot of the time venturing for me as a commercial artist, somebody who gets assignments, gets hired to draw things for a client, I often have to draw things that are out of my comfort zone. So, or out of not something I would normally draw. So, so much of what I draw is dictated by the work that I'm doing, like a book I'm illustrating or you know, a project I'm doing for a client where I have to make icons. I I get hired a lot to make icons or like symbols. And a lot of times I have to draw things that I wouldn't normally draw. But in terms of my own personal work, that's such an intuitive process. Something that is totally dictated by kind of what I see around me and what sparks me and what I'm interested in. The reason I draw a lot of like as Diane mentioned, animals and nature and kind of weird abstract shapes is that I love drawing those things. And every now and again, I will venture into new territory because I read something or see something or am inspired by something that kind of lights me up a little bit. I think if you are a fellow artist, you probably understand what that feeling is. Like you see something either a genre of art that is from the past or some architecture in a city that you're visiting in Europe or or in Asia or, you know, wherever, or you're walking down the street and you stumble into a bookstore and you are looking through a book that really inspires you or there's some particular subject matter that inspires you. So the, the taking up of new subject matter is usually in terms of people's or artists, my work or other artists' work, their personal work is driven by what they see and what inspires them in the world. But a lot of us who do commercial work are also forced to draw things we wouldn't be interested in normally for the needs of the client. And honestly, that's not such a bad thing. One time I quit a job because, or I like, I got hired to do something and I ended up bailing because I'm not proud of this necessarily. This was in the very beginning of my career. I didn't have an agent yet. And I got asked to, to do a bunch of illustrations that didn't feel in line with 
what I normally would draw or paint, but it was so far out of my comfort zone or what I would normally draw that I was like, I don't think this is the right job for me. And now I make sure that that's true before I take a job. Like, is this aligned with something I would want to draw? So like, for example, I don't draw a lot of people. Occasionally I do. I don't get hired to do a lot of people, right? Because it's not something I draw or I'm known for. Where there are some artists, that's all they do is draw people, either people that we know or people that are imaginary. So typically you get hired to draw the stuff that you already draw or things that are sort of aligned with that. So anyway, I hope that makes sense. It's just, it's based on inspiration. And sometimes I also get bored. So I'm like, what else can I add to the bucket of things that I do or that I draw? And then I like go in search of inspiration or... I don't know. Yeah. Did I just babble on for way too <laughs> long about that? a great answer. Okay. Well, you covered the gamut from your personal work to client work to it being either dictated or being something that you came across or was inspired by one of your travels. So yeah. well, that was good. Sorry, uh, I'm, I'm not being very close to the microphone. Oh, that's, um, <laughs> it's, it's tight it's quarters a, in here. Yeah, it is. Uh-huh. Yeah, true. <laughs> okay, let's go to the next question. Good, good answer. All right, here's the next one for you, Lisa. Every business and career has its ups and downs. What have you learned about the best ways to weather the storm and stay the course? Or when to shift and find a new direction? That's kind of along the same lines. I mean, it's a little bit like more general of a question, not necessarily about subject matter. So let's take it. You have a lot of experience with weathering storms. Weathering storms. Um, Okay, what do we, what have you learned about the best way to weather the storms and stay the course? Okay, so so yeah, every business and career has its ups and downs. I do have lots of experience with that. What have I learned about the best ways to weather the storm? Let's see. Know that your life and your work are not immune from storms. Nobody's are. Know that people that you might compare yourself to, their lives are not immune from storms and from ups and downs. That knowledge in and of itself, I think, is super helpful. Knowing that they're going to happen, not necessarily expecting them and having a negative attitude like my life is going to be crap. My career is going to be crap. That's not what I'm saying. But just knowing that when they happen, they are a normal part of the ebb and flow of life. So that's the first piece of advice. The second... There's also the shifting of directions. Like if something is too stormy, you know, how would you... Yes. So ups and downs are normal, but sometimes storms tell you that you need to shift direction, right? Or that something isn't quite working. And I think that's just like an assessment you have to do. Is this particular situation happening because there's something out of alignment in my life or is this situation happening because it's just a shitty situation that would have happened regardless right and if it's if it's something that is out of alignment then maybe there's something you need to reassess find a new direction so there's for me a constant analysis of like what is happening why is it happening and do I need to pivot in this moment? You know, in truth, 
a lot of the work I do is like as as I'm known to say, the train has left the station, right? Like, <laughs> very familiar. So let's say something happens, I'm in the middle of a client project, or, you know, something I've committed to, I am a finisher. So you know, unless somebody's being abusive to me, which fortunately doesn't happen very often, I'll finish the project. But then the lesson is, I'm never going to do this thing again. Sorry, milkshakes lost her, lost, lost her, her ball, lost her ball. So we're hearing the, um, I don't know if you all can hear it. But there's the lost your ball bark. Um, what do you call it, Clay? An up bark? <laughs> I say she's barking backwards. Oh, yeah, that's right. It's like, ah! yeah. as opposed to, oh. yeah. And that's really like always because she's lost her she's ball. She's lost her ball. Yeah, so or her toy up, or something. Up bark or a backwards bark. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, that's happening right now. I'm very curious. I don't actually else. think she's lost it. I think that she knows that we're recording a podcast episode. Exactly. And she wants attention, so she's like, "I'm gonna make my ball go under the sofa, so that Clay has <laughs> yeah, to come get it out." She's wagging her tail, so yeah. obviously she's having a blast. Oh my god, she's the worst. Um, <sighs> anyway, so yeah, I think that's so. Let's, yeah, let's move on to the next question. All right, let's do that. That was great. Okay, so see, she tells me that was great, even though I feel like that was kind of a mediocre answer. But this is why I'm married to her because. Positive reinforcement. Positive. <laughs> that Positive. was great, Lisa. That was great. Okay. So does having a solo practice feel isolating or lonely at times? I mean, this is a really good question because you mostly work alone. How do you balance individual time to make with collaborating with others? Lots of collaborations. Yeah. Okay. So I do have a solo art practice, but there are several things in play now in my career that make it not isolating at all. In fact, I rarely feel isolated. Um, sometimes You're I'm like very craving. Very connected. <laughs> I'm very connected. Okay, several things. One of them is that I teach a class called Creative Entrepreneurship. I'm a faculty at Pacific Northwest College of Art, which is now part of Willamette University here in Oregon. So once a week, I see my students and I have a pretty close relationship with my department head or my program head. And that's really awesome. I love teaching and I love my students. I also have, at this time, one employee who is basically like, an ex I feel like we're kind of like, we're so connected and we work so well together that we feel almost like one person. And that's Amy. Amy's my, started off as my studio manager. She's now my head of retail and product development. And she's amazing and is in my studio more than I'm in my studio, honestly. And then I'm about to hire a second employee and I'm super excited for a new person to come on and work in my studio and be part of my community. I know it's online, but like Instagram is such a, an important part of my world and my art community. And I feel like online relationships are different than in-person relationships, but they're also really important these days. And that feels important to me and a way to stay connected I have a ton of clients, obviously, and I want to say that something happened during COVID that was so amazing. Pretty much before, I've been doing client work for years, and before, whenever you got a client job, you would go on to email. Occasionally, you would have a phone call with the client if the job required some explanation or kind of connecting with the person the client, me, the client. But 
ever since COVID, every client kickoff has been on Zoom. Mm. So all of a sudden, I'm seeing all of these faces of people in the past. I never would have known what they looked like and kind of like anything about their personality, which really comes through even over Zoom. And so I have all these Zoom calls right now with clients and have now for the last almost year and a half, or I guess soon it'll be even two years. And, you know, because I didn't work in an office where I had coworkers and most of my clients are not in Portland. And even when they were, I wasn't necessarily meeting them in person or meeting Mm -hmm. with them in person. So that's been a real highlight for me as somebody, I'm not on the Myers-Briggs test, which if you've never taken it, I highly recommend. It's 16personalities.com. Why 16 personalities? 16 personalities.com. You can take your Myers Briggs. Okay. Anyway, I'm an INFJ, but I'm like on the borderline of being an extrovert. So I'm like kind of right there. And so is Clay, actually. We're really. I'm an ENFP. Oh, you're an E. So you're right. I am shifted to an E. E. Okay. Anyway. I'm a J. She's a P. It's it's kind. Of, I I find it so hard to believe that you do not test as a J. That's a whole other episode. It like really you're is. so much more of a J than I am. Like I can't even. Like I can't even. I need. Okay. Anyway. Now I feel like I need to go look it up and confirm. I don't think you're an ENFP. Maybe I'm I think an ENFJ. I think it's an N versus I. Right. Um. What's no? It's an N. What's the other one besides N? Extrovert? No, no, no. It's I E, and then there's an N, N. which is for intuitive, which mm-hmm. is what I am. S. You're in sensing. Yes. E S F J. Yes, you're in J. You're an S. Mystery solved. We're okay. <laughs> Everything is okay, people. Okay, because okay, so I'm a Capricorn. Clay's a Virgo. I'm, if you know I'm anything about the Myers Briggs, J's are like rule followers. Like we're really kind of organized and like need everyone to do what they're supposed to do. And so when she just said she was a P, I was... P-S-F-J. Okay. S, I can get. I understand. Uh, P. P, no. No, no P. Okay. No P. All right. Sorry. All right. We've, we had Let's to go back go to 16personalities.com. Right. Okay. So anyways, I... Why was I bringing this up? That I... Um, while I'm an introvert and I like to spend time by myself, I also really enjoy connecting with other people. And so one of the gifts of... The pandemic is this idea that I get to like meet my clients and over and over and over we have these Zoom meetings. You and have so many Zoom meetings. I know. And it's a little tiresome, but I get to meet people in person and see what they look like. And I don't know, it's been really cool for me. I have such closer relationships with my clients now and I feel like I'm doing better work because we can like sit and talk about what we're doing, see each other as human beings. So... That, you know, this question was really about how I balance individual time to make with, you know, collaborating with others. So that is to say, I have plenty of time to collaborate with others. I also have this amazing illustration agent named Ryan. And Ryan and I have like a one-on-one every two weeks. And then CoLoop, which is the agency that I'm involved with, we have a group chat like once every six weeks. And so we also like meet and like... Those are fun. They're so fun. We laugh our butts off. (laughs) Oh my God, I cry sometimes. I laugh so hard in those meetings. So I have plenty of ways to collaborate with others and like bounce. And I'm not talking... And that's this is like just... I'm talking about my work life. Like I'm not even talking about my friendships. Most of my friends are not artists, thank God. No offense to artists, but like... I like to have a life outside of making art. 
And so I have that, and then I have like all of these ways that I collaborate and interact with people around my work and get feedback and, I don't know, kind of problem solve around things that I'm struggling with. So, yeah, I feel like I have a good balance. But I think I think what, the, you know, to answer the question, it, it's asking if you have a solo practice, and I don't think that you do. I don't <sighs> think that you have a solo practice. I think that you have a very yeah, but full... I, like, draw things just because I want to draw them and, like, yeah. make things, and that has nothing to do with anybody but me. Yeah, that's true. I mean, but I guess may, maybe more what you're saying is, like, I don't need to put words in your mouth, Clay, but, like... <laughs> That like I it's, I it's do. very full and robust business that you have that includes clients and collaborators and colleagues and that it isn't a solo practice. Anymore. Right, right, right. I mean I do kind of get in my own head and like make work. But honestly, these days I have ideas and I bounce almost everything by Amy. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily like a personal post I'm gonna make on Instagram, but yeah, it, I think you're kinda right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway, it's cool. Because it can feel very isolating, and it can feel very, like, I don't know. And I just want to make a plug for remote work. So real quick, I was somebody that worked in an office for 25 years, and this pandemic sent everybody home, obviously. And our company has decided to be remote only. And I was pretty distraught about the whole situation. I was distraught, too, because I was like, oh, gosh, it's going to be home all the time. Jesus. I know. So no office. We officially let it go and we're expanding. We're hiring people outside of the Portland area and I'm connecting with people all over the United States. In fact, my colleague Nick Lambert and our friend and the person who created the theme music for the show yes. is moving to Iceland because our company, I work at The Wild, and is supportive of remote work and it's really kind of like remote work from anywhere. So I've really felt really connected with all the different tools beyond Zoom. There's Loom, there's Miro, there's Slack and Asana and Coda and all these really cool ways that we can connect now. And, you know, we'll also get together in person sometimes. So I don't know. I'm feeling more connected. It's really strange. I know it is. I feel the same way. I feel like my professional life has become more connected since COVID than before. I also sit on the board of directors of a couple of organizations. I'm starting my own nonprofit foundation, which I'll talk about in another episode. And like all of those things require getting on Zoom meetings with people. I mean, previously, I guess it would have been the phone. So Ryan, my agent, and I were laughing because a couple of weeks ago, we had a conference call instead of a Zoom meeting. It was for this public art project that I'm doing. And it was like one of the, you know, like, <laughs> you know how I, I think Zoom meetings are like this to a certain degree. Like people are trying to talk and don't know when they're <laughs> right. They don't want to talk over other people. But like in conference calls, you can't even read visual cues about like if who's engaged and who's talking. <laughs> and so it was like the whole old school thing of like nobody talking because they were afraid they were going to interrupt something that everybody super awkward. talking at once. And it, we were laughing so hard. I was like, wait, who does conference calls anymore? I had to like <laughs> dial in a number. It's Maybe really laugh. funny because I was on a, my mom was visiting this week and then she, she said, okay, go off to your conference call. And I just <laughs> laughed. I said, oh, it's a Zoom call. <laughs> anyway. Oh, gosh. Oh, okay. Next question. Okay. So this is on a completely different topic. So how's it going with ceramics? Oh, I haven't. Okay. I, I literally, this is from my friend, Rachel. Rachel lives in the UK. She actually asks, how are you getting along with the ceramics? (laughs) 
So just insert Rachel's British accent there. But anyway, okay, I'm not getting along with the ceramics at all. So so last year I was on a, like this quasi sabbatical in 2020, which was not planned in conjunction with the pandemic. It just sort of happened and it kind of ruined my sabbatical because I, I was supposed to spend part of the sabbatical traveling. And then whatever, all kinds of things, weird things happened. I got breast cancer, all this shit happened. It kind of ruined my sabbatical. But one thing I did a lot of last year was make ceramics. So I bought this kiln. I know I know nothing about ceramics or I knew nothing, but I was taking classes and my friend Diana was helping me. And so I made a lot of ceramics. I even put them in this show that I had last summer. And then I had a sale around the holidays. Like I, I did this big batch last like October, November, like a year ago, basically. And then... I have not touched clay in a year. Not you, clay. (laughs) This is always very confusing for people. I haven't touched ceramics in a year. Much better. (laughs) Sometimes I'll be like, I'm playing with... been a year? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh my gosh. So I have all this dried up clay in my studio. And that's because after last holiday, I like took a break. And then I literally in January kind of started on client work, like gangbusters. Mm -hmm. I had my first semester of teaching, like all of this stuff happened that was really intense for me. And this year has been amazing. I've worked on so many amazing projects, finished one book. Actually, I finished two books, had two books come out. I have another product that I'm really excited about that comes out in November. It's not like you haven't been doing anything. No, no, you no. You haven't been doing well, ceramics. And that's the, well, exactly. And it's because I've been doing other things that I haven't touched ceramics. And so I actually have a, sh- a solo show that opens in a few weeks. And I had to make this decision, like, do I include ceramics or not? And I decided not to. So mm-hmm. I think officially a year is going to pass before I touch my kiln. And it feels really weird, but it's also okay because I, I know next year I'm going to get back into it. So... Mm-hmm. I, I'm not surprised that Rachel's asking this question. She probably notices I have not been posting ceramics. Oh, a little passive aggressive. No, she is not being passive <laughs> passive aggressive. Definitely not. Just um, kidding. I, I'm sure she's just wondering, like, what the hell, Lisa? What's going on? Well, I maybe just, this is a, a chance for you to think about when the next time you're going to go and do some playing with clay. Yeah, playing. <laughs> what is that playing with clay going to look like? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay, what's the next question? What's the next question? Okay, let's see. Oh, about about ceramics. Well, no, Rachel's asking another question. Okay. I don't know if it's related or not. Let's find out. Well, it was a little bit more about wanting to know if you had long-term goals and maybe what are some challenges that you've had interpreting your work in this medium? Oh, oh, I guess it is about ceramics. Okay, my long-term goal is to, like, actually make ceramics that don't look like shit. Um, my long-term goal is to like actually become a ceramics artist who makes work that looks finished and cool and not janky. My goal is to have, you know, run some stuff in the kiln that I don't have to give 75% of it away to people because I can't, I can only sell 25% of it. That's one goal. The biggest challenge is that ceramics is... Milkshake, I'm just going to interrupt and say Milkshake wants to get on Clay's lap. So she wants, So if you, if you hear a lot of rustling, my editor Gabe's going to have a lot of fun with this episode. Anyway, <laughs> the thing about ceramics is it's very 
temperamental, right? Like you can make something that when it's wet or what we call leather hard looks amazing and then you put it into the kiln and it cracks or it breaks or it blows up or it's damaged by something that blows up next to it, right? Like it's just, it's chemistry. And so that to me is the most challenging things. I also don't have the facility to paint on clay that I do to paint in real life. And that's because underglazes and glazes are just really different than painting with paint. And I know that takes practice. And I'm one of these people who I have a whole podcast episode on practice. So you know how important I think it is. And I think what I need to do is keep practicing because I look at people who started doing ceramics around the same time that I did, who have been consistently doing it and not taking these long breaks like I have. And their work is so much further ahead of mine. So I know I need to practice. I know I need to get back into it. And I want to, too. I absolutely love working with ceramics. Friends, I'm so excited to introduce you to my latest sponsor, Storyblocks. Storyblocks is a stock footage company who exists to help you bring all your stories to life without sacrificing your vision due to time or budget or resources. Every creator who does any kind of video production should have a Storyblocks membership. And here's why. They are changing the face of stock footage with more diverse and inclusive content in their library to help creators continue to tell their unique and authentic stories. Their restock program is their commitment to increase representation in stock media by hiring creators from marginalized communities to create content that is more reflective of the diverse world we live in. They are also committed to access by making their footage affordable, offering unlimited downloads, a royalty-free demand-driven library, and enterprise licensing. Focused on speed, diversity, and accessibility, I highly recommend checking them out at storyblocks.com slash That's storyblocks.com slash All right, next question. Yeah. Lisa, how did you find your personal style? I always love your outfits and how you blend the artistic, feminine, and athletic aspects of you into how you dress and accessorize your body. I love that question. Okay, how did I find my personal style? Well, first of all, I grew up in the 80s. (laughs) And the 80s was this, like, really magical time. Actually, I grew up in the 70s and the 80s. I should say I became a person with my own... Came of age. Came of age in the 80s. And what I love about the 80s is is it it was, like, preppy and also, like, punk rock. Right? (laughs) Exactly. And I'm sort of, like, this weird combination of those. Like, I am... I'm just as known to wear a polo dress as I am to, like, wear a bikini kill T-shirt, you know? Um, And sometimes I mix those things. So I have this style that's, like, really preppy. I love a good loafer. I've got them on right now. (laughs) And I also love, like, being tattooed and occasionally dyeing my hair and kind of, I don't know... Lots of glasses. Yeah, I also am, like, really into accessories. So I have how many pairs of glasses? Probably 12 or 13 at any given time. I mean, right now you can buy glasses so cheap on the Internet that are decent by sending in your prescription. I love bracelets, earrings, 
rings. I love accessories, shoes, color. I love matching. I love putting patterns and colors together. And I credit Granimals. Do you remember Granimals, Clay? <laughs> I do. So when I was growing up in the Bay Area, we had this Mervyn's. Mervyn's was a department store in San Jose, California. I grew up in San Jose and then Los Gatos, California. And there was a Mervyn's. And the Mervyn's, this was in the 70s, had this like section called Granimals. And so it, for those of you who don't know what Granimals were, that was like this rack of clothes where each clothing had an animal attached to it mm -hmm. or maybe more than one animal I can't remember but you matched the animals and that would tell you if the thing went with the other thing so like if you had a koala shirt you would just look for the koala pants <laughs> and totally dittos was in this. on this and so like dittos also like you could match with the dittos I don't know if people remember what dittos did you wear dittos no oh my god clay I know what a ditto is, but I don't know what dittos are. Okay. Oh, my God. We've never had this conversation. So if you're over, say, 50, you probably remember dittos. Dittos were these pants that they had in the 70s. I'll try to find a link and put it in the show notes. But they were kind of tight, and they had, like, bell bottoms, and they came in different colors. Anyway, yeah, dittos. So and you so wore those. I wore dittos, and then, like, you could match your dittos also to your granimal tops oh, wow. and stuff. And I got really into matching. And the thing I loved about Granimals was it it was about color matching more than it was pattern matching. Like it was like really, I feel like I was given permission with Granimals to mix patterns, like stripes with plaid as long as the colors matched. And it was a little bit like avant-garde. Like mm -hmm. I really, I'll never forget that. And I became obsessed with like going to Mervyn's and like picking out things that had color matching, but didn't necessarily traditionally go together all right let's bring it back to today so how does that influence <laughs> she you asked how did you find your personal style okay. i'm talking about that mervins mervins no granimals anyway i'll try to also find a link to something Amazing. granimals related and put it in the show notes in case any of you are like what is she talking about <laughs> so into matching i like mixing a little bit like of funky with preppy but i also am a jock and so sportswear or like, as my best friend, Jen Hewitt would say, athleisure, um, athleisure <laughs> wear is really my jam. Like I love a good Adidas sweatsuit. I love a good high top. And your um, trucker hats. My trucker hats. I love a short short in the summer, you know, so I don't know. I've just embraced all of it. And to be honest with you, my sense of style and my bravery in terms of just like being myself and dressing the way I want to dress has increased as I've gotten older. I actually feel like I'm probably more... A little more risky. Risky and, like, confident in my style the older I get. So, there you go. Nice. All right, question about your career. So, do you have any advice for starting later in your art career? I mean, um, wow, I think you might know a little bit about this. I do. Uh, my first piece of advice is... Let go of this idea that you're starting late. And it, to her credit, this person who asked the question puts late in quotes. So she knows that the word late is relative, right? Right. So the first thing I want to say is that if you are an older person, in particular an older woman, and you are starting now 
or you started recently or in the last few years to launch an art career, I want you to listen to me right now. You have more wisdom, more perspective, more creativity, more potential, probably more organizational skills, probably more communication skills, definitely more stories and more experiences than A, you would have had when you were 25 and B, than most 25-year-olds have. So if you're starting late, understand that you're actually at an advantage, not a disadvantage. That's my first piece of advice. And then my second piece of advice is the same as I would give anyone starting in our career. Sit down, do the work, practice, try to get better at your craft, put your work out there, even though it's not perfect or exactly where you want it to be yet, and own your story and use that, use your experience, your life experience, however short or long it might be, to drive your work and also to talk about your work. And that's what's going to help you build an audience for your work. And also that's what's going to help make your work resonate with other people is you being you, even if you're 55, 60, 65, 70, right? One of the things I love about the internet right now is that there are all these like, quote, older people (laughs) who are on TikTok, right? (laughs) Or making reels, which we know I'm not a fan of, but I like watching other people's reels. And part of what makes them so amazing is that they're just being themselves, right? Or they're just being, I don't know. I feel like there's this opportunity right now to share who you are And that that opportunity isn't just reserved for people 25. Like there's people of all ages are out there doing shit right now on the internet and making art and like, or performing or telling their story or writing books or whatever. Like the internet has really become a space for everyone. You know, young people dominate, but there's plenty of older people out there like using it. And so if you want to tell your story and share your story, there there are all these ways to do that right now. And I think that's really amazing for young and for old folks. Yeah. And I think just dispelling that a career has to be from when you graduate from college to when you retire at 65. I mean, yeah, it can be whenever. Yeah. It doesn't have to be one thing or follow any rules. Lisa, another question for you. Yeah. This one is sweet. Do you believe in love at first sight? No, I don't. Tell me why. Well, I believe in infatuation at first sight or like Mm. butterflies in the stomach at first sight. (laughs) Love is like something that you develop. It's a very deep thing. It's like really, really intense and it transcends people's weird, annoying personality traits. It also transcends people's sexiness and... It takes a while to develop. I don't, I think for some people, this idea of falling in love can happen fairly quickly. I also think that most of the time what we think is falling in love is actually falling in infatuation or falling in crush or Mm -hmm. falling in Mm -hmm. admiration or falling in somebody's control. I mean, Mm -hmm. let's face it. So I do think that very evolved people can connect very quickly with each other. But those people are very rare. Um, And when I say, I think lots of, you can connect with anybody pretty quickly. But like 
having a deep connection with somebody quickly doesn't happen very often, whether it's a friend or a... Yeah, because at first sight means you fall in love means that sounds actually kind of unhealthy. Right. Yeah. I I don't know. I, th- I, think I mean, it's it not... sounds sweet but on the surface, but what you're trying to say is something different. Yeah. I don't think it's possible. I mean, I think lots of things can happen at first sight. <laughs> and pe- somebody you end up falling in love with, you may have thought you loved them at first sight, but you didn't know them. You can't love somebody you don't know. Exactly. You really have to get to know them, and that takes a while. Such a good question. I'm very curious what that person was thinking when they asked that question. Okay, so here's another question from someone named Lucy. Hi, I love your work and your podcast. Might be too personal, so feel free to pass on this while we're clearly not. (laughs) And do you believe in a higher power? How has that come into play in your work and your process? Or has that come into play in your work and your process? It's a great question. I do believe in a higher power. What's interesting is I grew up in a religious but not so religious family. Like we went to church and my parents having a spiritual life was like really important to my parents. But my parents were also not super dogmatic or like fundamentally religious, if I could say that. And so I was really left to kind of devise my own opinions and feelings about spirituality and about religion and about this notion of a higher power. And while I have sort of rejected traditional Christianity, I have always felt like there's so much order. And I don't mean that in a bad way. I mean that in a positive way. I mean, like so many things that happen that feel meaningful that I tend to believe that there is a higher power. And I don't know if that's me telling that to myself so that I have like some comfort in hard times or if it's actually real. And I'm not sure that that matters, but I think I do believe in a higher power. And I don't mean like God with like a white face and a beard. (laughs) (laughs) I mean like... A consciousness that is bigger than us, that doesn't necessarily control everything, but that that we can tap into, that kind of like is energetic. And <laughs> I'm going to sound so woo-woo. And that helps connect us to others. You know how sometimes things happen And you're like, oh, I can't believe that happened. Like, what a weird coincidence. Or this, I met this person and this thing happened. Or we had this in common. How weird. I don't know that, I don't know that I believe in coincidences. I think sometimes, like, I do have a sense that there are meaningful things in life. But I also believe that shitty things happen to people for no reason. I don't necessarily, I'm not one of those people who believes everything happens for a reason. Mm -hmm. Like, There's too much pain and suffering in this world, especially for certain people, that it doesn't feel right to me. But I also feel that there is something called energy. And so I'm not sure if energy is the same as like a higher power, but I do believe in something outside of myself. I guess that's what I can say. Not maybe in the traditional way of like God, but 
and I don't even necessarily always think of it as higher power, but like there is a power or a force or an energy out there that you can tap into that, like, I don't know. But it can be there for you when you need it. I guess. I don't know. You know, when I go through really hard times in my life, I tend to be seeking more. I'm a seeker, right? So I'll like really look for that and I'll, I'll really want to tap into it or I'll even pray like, please help this situation or please help this person who's suffering or, or I'll even, when I meditate, I'll even say, you know, I'll even pray or, or just ask, ask, right? You ask Mm -hmm. the universe, you ask for healing, you ask for connection, you ask for wisdom and all of those things. You don't really necessarily know who you're asking or what you're asking. And then oftentimes, eventually, what you ask for comes. And maybe that's just your own higher power, your own wisdom that you're not in touch with. Maybe it's not even something outside yourself. Maybe it is just within you. I don't know. But I do believe there's something else out there, if that answers the question. All right. Let's ask a different question. The last couple were pretty heavy. So (laughs) can you share about your favorite Procreate brushes? Um. I'm really weird about sharing what brushes I use. Oh, yeah. But Nico Roll is my favorite. So Nico Roll is like, or Roll, is it Roll or Roll? I don't know. It, it's How like, do you spell creates it? creates N-I-K-K-O. And it, it is like um in the painting brushes. And it creates texture. But it gets me in trouble because I'll create things with texture that make it look like it's hand-drawn. Mm. And then people get their print and they say, oh, it has like printing errors. And I'm like, no, that's intentional. So I'm not sure I can recommend it. Can you explain what Procreate is for those? Oh, Procreate is my iPad drawing program. Cool. That's good. So another question. We just have a few more left. Um, Two more, actually. Yeah. How and when did you know that you could or would go full time with your art versus working a nine to five to make ends meet kind of job? Or did you never have a doubt? Oh, I had doubts. Oh, yeah. Actually, right before I met you, I just Around went, I just gone freelance. I had a job at a nonprofit organization, and then I went part time. And then even after I left the job, so there was a period of time where I was still working freelance for that job, like doing projects. I owned a store with a friend and I was doing very little illustration, like not what I do now. And I basically had three jobs. So there was a period where I was kind of around 2007, 2008, 2009, where I was doing three different things just to make ends meet. And then in around 2010 or 11, I started only doing the store and doing kind of freelance illustration work. And then in 2011, my business partner and I sold the store that I owned and I started doing illustration full time. So for me, it was not even like a moment where I was like, I'm quitting my job and I'm going to start doing freelance. Like I did it over a period of years, very methodically. transitioned out. Yes. And I had lots of doubts during those time, you know, and that's, I think, part of why I kind of hung on to all of these different sources of income before I went headfirst into full-time illustration work. And Clay, I don't know if you remember this, but we had just moved in together and it was around 2000. 10 or 11. And I still had the shop, the store that I owned with my friend in San Francisco. And I was like really nervous about money. I wasn't getting any illustration work. And 
I was like, I need some another source of income because the recession was also in full swing. So my store wasn't making very much money. When I say my store, I mean this like storefront that I had in San Francisco. It was like not my own work. We were selling, it was like a gift shop, selling other people's work. And I went out to interview for this like art teaching job that a friend referred me for. And that very day I got an offer to illustrate a book. I think it was like the first book I ever illustrated. And it wasn't even very much money for the amount of work it was, but it was enough for me to like not take an extra job. Mm. And it was like the universe. See, here we go with the higher power. Um, it was like <laughs> the universe saying like, you don't need, that you don't job. need this job. You should really s- stick to illustration. I got this job and that was like the beginning of my illustration career. And from there, things really started, you know, like that was a tipping point, I guess. Mm -hmm. And then shortly after that, I, well, actually, I think I had the shop for a couple more years and then transitioned out of that and then went to illustration full time. But, you know, I just kept looking for opportunities that would allow me to leave my job until, and then I found them. And I worked really hard at doing lots of things until I, you know, eventually, found that I could make a full-time living making art. So, so yeah, that's kind of how it happened for me. It's really different for everyone, but my advice to people is sure, leave your day job, but have a plan and make sure that your expenses are covered and that you're, you know, that you're ready. All right. Last question. And this is a question that I feel I personally hear all the time. People say to me, how does Lisa do it all? So the question is, how do you budget your time for work, art for fun, personal and family time, your exercise? Do you have any practical tips or advice for doing that? Uh, um, <laughs> one time I got asked this question, Nicole Georges was interviewing me for her podcast and I was like, don't look to me at a role model for time management because <laughs> even though I talk about managing time and I'm actually pretty good at it, I do I do do too much. And I actually am trying, working with a coach right now to figure out ways to pare down the amount of things that I'm involved in because it really is like exhausting and hard. So right now my days are very full. I get up in the morning and two or three days a week I go on a bike ride very early in the morning. Like I get up at five something 515 by 615 I'm out of the house and I'm meeting my training partner uh, at 630 in the morning and we ride anywhere from 25 to 32 miles you know sometimes in certain times of the year before the sun even comes up two days a week I go to my personal trainer at the same at 7 a.m and maybe on Sundays I sleep in I slept until eight this morning didn't I I was like that's late for me and then after I work out, I come home, I eat breakfast, or I, maybe I eat breakfast before I work out, but then I take a shower, I get dressed for the day, I pack my lunch, I never really eat lunch out, I make my own lunch every day, I go to the studio, during the pandemic I was working at home, but now I'm back at my studio almost every day, I go to the studio, and then I, I, I teach a time management class on Creative Live, and so I basically use the system that I talk about in that class, which is like a, a, a kind of overall spreadsheet that keeps track of everything I'm responsible for that I check in with every day. And then I have these like rolling to-do lists that I keep in a notebook where I kind of block off time to 
you know, 15 minutes for email twice a day and then chunks of time between 45 minutes and two hours where I'm working on client projects or shows or whatever. And then I work pretty much a full day and then I have meetings with my employee and collaboration that happens. All the Zoom calls that, yeah. (laughs) And then at five o'clock or 5.30, I stop working and I either drive or ride my bike home, depending on how I've commuted that day. And um, then Clay and I make dinner. And dinner is like a really important ritual in our household. We make a grocery list every week on the weekend. We plan every meal. We go to the grocery store, buy all the food for every meal. Then we take turns cooking. And so every night one of us is cooking. Some weeks it's me every night. Some weeks it's Clay every night, depending on like what the other person has going on. We walk the dogs. We eat. And then we either spend time together or sometimes I have to work some more. So I work a little bit more at night depending on how busy I am. And then I go to bed and the whole thing starts over again. Our work weeks are pretty routine. Yeah. And Clay has a really intense, demanding job also. So we both love our work, but it's – I personally – I'm trying to get to the place where, like, I have one day a week where I don't work. Like, Friday is, like, a free day so I can relax or catch up on errands or catch up with friends because my work week is so full and my social life is so full. Like, we have tons of friends and we – socialize with our friends and on the weekends we go to soccer game women's soccer games and we ride our bikes with our team and we you know have barbecues and it's a lot paddle boarding you paddle boarding in the summer yeah we have we have a lot of interest we don't have children so there's a lot of freedom that a lot of families don't have exercise is a priority for me because it makes me feel alive Uh, a cycling is like i couldn't manage all of the stress I have without it. It's also social time for me. I have a train with certain women and I race my bike, which is like a physical personal challenge for me. That's really motivating. And, you know, there was a time when all I did was work and I like didn't have a life outside of work in the beginning of my career. And now I'm really trying to flip it so that I have more fun and prioritize fun and relaxation over work. But, you know, that's hard because I also love my work. I just feel really lucky because I have a life where I have, like, a really fun life outside of work and a, and a really fun work life. But I would be lying to you if I said I didn't get burned out or I didn't feel exhausted sometimes by all of it and didn't want to just crawl in a hole. So that's the part that I'm trying to to figure out. Like, how can I do just the right amount of work so that I have just the right amount of, like free time. And I don't know, maybe that's just going to be the work for the rest of my life. That is all of the questions oh that my we got to this episode. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. We did it. Oh my an gosh. And it's like an hour. That um, was fun. There were some really great questions and thoughtful responses. I know. So thank you to everyone who submitted questions. I'm going to do this again. I hope it was useful. Thank you um, for having me. Yeah. <laughs> thank you I hope for you'll t- have me back. Thank you to Clay for moderating. One day we should just like do uh, an episode on, I don't know. Maybe questions for us. Yeah. Because I'm sure people are curious about you. Yeah. Anyways, that was fun. Yeah, it was fun. So we'll do this again. 
And, and the, you know what? The dogs are sleeping. I mean, they were like totally. There was a lot going. There was a lot. Go- I don't know if you guys could, <laughs> if you all could hear like when we were recording. There was one point where I had to say stop and start over, which you won't hear because Gabe, my editor, is going to edit it out. But like, I got so distracted because milkshake. Lost her ball. Lost her ball, and she was barking, and then I was, like, poking at Clay to go make her shut up, and, like, (laughs) I just got too distracted, and then I wasn't making any sense. Everyone's passed out now. It's perfect. And now, Milkshake... Well, Frida's been sleeping the whole time, but Milkshake just finally passed out. lulled them to sleep. Yeah, we did. Hopefully this wasn't as boring for you (laughs) as it was for them. Oh, my gosh. All right. Well, that's great. All right. See ya. Bye. Bye. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. Editing of this podcast by the amazing Gabe Garber. Thanks to Nick Lambert for the original music and to my amazing team at the CoLoop Podcast Network. Please subscribe to the Lisa Congdon Sessions on Apple Podcasts. And if you enjoy what you hear, leave me a review. You can follow me on social media at Lisa Congdon and at the Lisa Congdon Sessions. I hope you'll join me for future episodes. Have a magical day, everyone.